0: This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com.
1: So do you agree that we are no longer under the curse of the covenant of law and now under the covenant of grace? Not to say that the law is entirely irrelevant, but that it has been fulfilled through Christ. And you have heard a whole lot of perspectives on this and whatnot, but I would like your perspective.
0: Okay, my perspective on this. Yes. Uh... I don't know. <laughs> and I have said that a lot, haven't I? Yes, you have. Because The reason I don't know is because I've heard so many perspectives on it. And a lot of them sound really similar to me. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of them are also true. Most of them just seem to be different metaphors for understanding it yeah for different people, yeah, some of them are a little more specific in terms of what they want to represent and what they want Christians to do, but a lot of them do kind of fit in this general rubric of, you know, you know, penal substitution or substitutionary atonement or something to that effect.
1: interesting. Um, so I'll be the first to admit I'm not really a theologian, <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, <laughs> concepts like like i had to go and look up what cessationism was when i was talking to some people about it um yeah. so stuff like uh, exegesis versus isogesis and penal substitution and the things that you're talking about um uh i feel it would be good to kind of explain like shorthand versions of really what those are
0: okay so and so
1: this this may be this may be like a uh Theology for beginners, kind of podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is the atonement theory for beginners podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so atonement in Christianity is how human beings can be reconciled to God. I mean, that's okay. pretty much the most basic way to think of it. Yes. And, you know, the because, word is because
1: the, because the weight of sin is so much that we are being separated from God. And so we need to be uh, brought back to him, brought close to him, and, and reconciled. So Yes,
0: and okay. basically all churches everywhere since 2,000 years ago or so have pretty much agreed on that point. Yes. The way that they differ is in how they understand what Christ's death actually did, death and resurrection and ascension and all that. Mm-hmm. So the first theory that came about is the well the first two theories that came about were the quote-unquote ransom theory and the christus victor theory the ransom theory of atonement is one that was advocated by the early church fathers now we're not talking about like new testament and stuff because new testament is new testament is its own thing yes you know the people who are contemporary to the new testament texts and were there right they didn't have, like, this fully formed theological thing about it. I mean, yes. you can kind of get glimpses of it in First Peter where they says, like, he took our sins and bore the weight on a tree, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But in terms of a fully formed theory of Jesus dying, what does Jesus' death and resurrection do for human beings – we don't have a very clear answer from the Bible. So a lot of it has to be like this constructive narrative that we use as either a metaphor or an allegorical thing to understand what Christ's death does.
1: Yes. Because there's so much that really goes into what is assumed exactly happened when he died, what exactly he died for all the things leading up to his death and all the things after his death is to what his death has really meant and what it's really done.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So, from let's say second, third century onward, there's two theories, and both of them are somewhat similar but different. and okay. the first one is the ransom theory of atonement, and the ransom theory is the idea that uh Christ's death was something like a ransom sacrifice, right
1: So so like we were so uh, just as a, as a little way of explaining that a little bit more, like we were held hostage by sin and death. And so Christ paid a ransom for it.
0: Yes. Okay. Probably more specifically Satan. Oh, uh, we were held we were held
1: in bondage by Satan?
0: Yeah. Okay. A lot of them a lot of the early church fathers said something to the effect that Adam Adam and Eve kind of sold humanity out to the devil.
1: Oh due to okay. the fall.
0: Yes. And so justice, of course, and God's you know, God's holiness kind of requires that he, there's some kind of ransom fee paid to free us from the devil's clutches. So yes, um, Christ perfect. Be Christ being perfect in his death and resurrection, basically shows that you know God can't be held by death, and so he kind of resurrects everybody in the end. Yes,
1: uh, as far as that goes, uh, in the ransom theory, you said that we were sold out. Is that in the context of like it was? a purposeful selling out in order to gain something or it no, was probably accidental
0: accidental unintentional i.e. Okay. human beings are dumb and don't know any better <laughs> <laughs> we were babies yeah. forgive us that sort of thing yeah okay not an intentional so basically christ has to do what adam could not okay yeah
1: <laughs> or at least what he failed to do
0: yeah that sort of thing okay like resist the devil that sort of yeah thing. Yeah, yeah 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 so because satan and you know Evil dark forces were much more prevalent in, let's say, a pre-scientific time. Yeah, they were later as we went on and we learned or, more about that,
1: or at least more blatantly obvious.
0: Yes, more blatantly, okay. more blatantly sickin- Satan-focused, more blatantly spiritual-focused. There you apparently. go. We're not going towards like a legal understanding of atonement, like Martin Luther or John Calvin or oh, that kind of okay. thing. You know, gotcha. like. You know, God is has us in the eternal court of law, and then he's oh, like, so okay. we demand this, right? So yeah. ransom is different. This is just Christ paying a ransom fee. This is not Christ like fixing a law and putting up a proper substitute. Gotcha. Yeah. So it gets.
1: It <laughs> that seems that seems a little um, unfinished as a theory.
0: Yeah, as a theory, it's unfinished. I mean, it's let's say substantial in and of itself. It's not. It wasn't enough to explain as people were thinking more and more about these concepts. <laughs> Fair enough. So at the same time, there's another theory, which is often called the Christus Victor, obviously Victory Christ, that kind of um, thing.
1: Uh, oh, oh, okay, so that's like Latin.
0: Yeah, which is okay. basically the view that Christ's death is the means by which the powers of evil, which held humankind under their dominion, were defeated. So Jesus Christ death and resurrection is like kind of like Jesus fighting against the forces of darkness and winning. Okay. So if you think about like, uh, revelation would be the best yeah, example yeah, of yeah. this. There's
1: a lot of really good imagery in there as far as like Christ coming as a victor and, and all that stuff.
0: Yeah. And he's the head of the general. He's like a general of armies of heaven.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, and- he's, he's more, uh, Supreme commander, sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and he's fighting against the devil as who is the dragon, right? Yes, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. they're yeah. locked in eternal combat. And
1: well, depending on your imagery, uh, the devil is either the dragon or the beast. Anyway, that's another topic for another day.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> <Because> in- <laughs> we could
1: go way deep into
0: Revelation because we could go forever because <laughs> Revelation is so confusing. <laughs> oh, good lord! <laughs> so, in general, that's basically the crisis victor theory. Which is, you know, so Crisis Victor and Ransom Theory are kind of work in tandem. They're not yeah, they're really more... exclusionary.
1: Yeah, I was going to say they don't really sound like they kind of cut each other out.
0: No, not really. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They so... kind of augment each other. So one guy yeah. goes the other. Ransom Theory kind of makes it more explicit, the exact idea. And then, like, Crisis Victor is more like, here is the spiritual meaning of this. <laughs>
1: mm. like, so crisis, crisis Victor seems to be more like uh, giving... God mm, sort of more power over it, and uh ransom theory seems to be more well, we kind of just made it so it was okay now to put it in like really simple terms, you know what I mean like yeah like there it seems like crisis victor is more God is all powerful blah 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 and crisis and um ransom theory is more like, well, we kind of just slid by and <laughs> skidded our way through you yeah know what I
0: mean And crisis is our only way to. You know, save ourselves, right? Yes, that kind of. Thing. Yep. So they're just different emphasis of the same thing. Okay. Now a theory that gets more well complicated. <laughs> to put it simply, is oh, the, this is
1: theology. Everything's complicated. Yes,
0: <laughs> this is the one that is a little more out there, and I would say controversial, at least as it stands in the modern church demographics. Okay. It is called the Moral Influence Theory. So, the Moral Influence Theory is the idea that Jesus Christ is to show us how... Jesus Christ exists and comes to Earth to present us with a good moral example. The best moral example. And he basically teaches us how that we can change so that we can become more like God. Okay. So, if you think about it like this, it's not so much that Jesus' death and resurrection were a thing that saves all of humanity. It's more like Jesus Christ's death and resurrection show us what would happen to the perfect human being. And, you know, like God would resurrect them afterward because they were such, you know, they were basically transformed into God's image via the things they did.
1: So, it kind of divorces Christ from his divinity In in, in a sense.
0: It can. And that's where the, most of the conflict lies when it comes to the more modern theologians and stuff. Yeah. Because the early patristics, the early church fathers, saw this as, you know, part and parcel of the whole thing, right? mm -hmm. You know, God dies and resurrects, but, you know, Christ within us makes us better human beings as we go along and follow Jesus's example, (laughs) Which Patristics, makes a whole lot of sense.
1: Patristic sounds like it's a, like a root sort of common word with patriarch.
0: Yes, and okay. that's why we call them the Church Fathers, you know. Oh, interesting. So, what um, happens with moral influence theory is that it can be divorced from Jesus' divinity. So, Jesus' mm-hmm. divinity can be a non-factor thing. And yes. And so, then Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ becomes, so well, just... Kind of plain old Jesus.
1: (laughs) He's a good teacher instead of, you know, son of God.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of people know moral influence theory from Peter Abelard, who was a theologian in the 13th century, I want to say. And he proposed this theory... At a time where people were not so much into that theory. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, so they didn't, he wasn't really popular. But that theory has gained traction in recent years since, obviously, enlightenment has changed a lot of how we think about the world. Yeah. And Christendom has kind of crumbled from its previous stature. So, yeah. you know, we have more modern theologians and people like, and philosophers and that sort of thing. Modern
1: not necessarily being a good word.
0: Um, It can be good and bad. It's Yeah. But let's say more liberal theological Yes, dispositions. That's, a, that's
1: a good word to put,
0: yeah, even though like liberal is it's the modern use of the word liberal that yes
1: and, and that they're more general ideas are accepted rather than um or more more ideas uh that are kind of out there quote unquote are accepted rather than no it has to be this way these are you know yeah. rather it's 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 a little more take what you want rather than this is defined as this way. <laughs> As, an in- as a mm. weird way of putting it, I'm bad with words. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so if, if a conservative is more about holding on to things in the past and saying some things are not meant to be changed and they were best as they are, a liberal is more inclined to say, well, we can improve this if we change this or move this around. Yes. So Which while what- it can't, it's not necessarily bad. Yes. But it can lead to bad things.
1: (laughs) Yes, which is why I'm a moderate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I guess I would be more conservative, but I I think that's conservative from my own mind frame's point of view. Yes.
1: Anyway, that's another discussion for also another day. (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
0: Uh, In, let's see, the third one, and the one Mm -hmm. that I think most Protestants believed, if I would have to take a guess, is the idea of the quote-unquote satisfaction theory. which basically ends up being a lot of different theories kind of under the same umbrella. It's just, we call it the satisfaction because St. Anselm was the first one to think of it. So he frames God as like the sovereign of the universe, right? He's kind of the ruler. And then the problem is that God in his, God is basically like the King of the universe. So in his official capacity as King of the universe, God can't let go of sin. Now, as a personal relationship, he could say, I forgive you, right? Mm -hmm. But because he is the king of the universe and sin is a thing, he must use his official position in order to say and to punish sin. Mm -hmm. As a problem in his kingdom, there must be some kind of legal recompense for the situation that is here, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens is that Because the insult to God is so great, only a perfect sacrifice could kind of satisfy the problem of sin and death in the world. And Jesus, of course, who is God and man, is the perfect sacrifice. So that's what St. Anselm thinks that they mean when they say that Jesus Christ is a ransom for many. He's satisfying a legal problem that basically, so taking the governmental idea, right, that there's a king, you know, the divine right of kings was a big thing back in anselm's day
1: oh okay so think of it so like is, was this along the same lines as um uh Montan- montanists uh, i'm sorry I, i'm thinking of the okay the... so
0: saint anselm is like 11th 10th century okay so at that time right basically christendom in the western world is the thing so who's in charge there? Kings are in charge because of Romans 13. All authority is granted to ruling powers by God, and you're just mm. supposed to obey them, that sort of thing.
1: So that's more of a predestination sort of idea. Uh,
0: it can be. It can't not be. I don't even think predestination was really a big thing until around when John Calvin and Martin Luther were doing their stuff. Okay. So it's basically understood that like the universe kind of works like a kingdom does. So, you have a king, and you have his subjects, and you have the peasants, and everybody kind of has their set role in society. Yes. And so, basically, the satisfaction model is taking this metaphor and saying, well, this is probably how things work in the salvation atonement model. Mm. And basically, since then, that has kind of been Protestantism's model. You know, I mean, this is before Protestantism, but 400 years later, John Calvin, Martin Luther, Huldrych Zwingli... Basically, everybody was using this in a different way, which is the way we know about it, which is penal substitution, which is that God is basically a replacement for us, Okay. (laughs) which is slightly different than being kind of like fixing a legal problem.
1: Yes. It seems that uh, for me personally, my problem with this theory, and this is, I've actually had a a discussion with a Mormon friend of mine who for those who don't know mormons um believe that you can become gods and they believe that god became god through things that he did so it's kind of like a faith through works sort of thing we don't like that anyway um hmm. also we don't like the idea of becoming gods that's not that's that's pretty dang heretical anyway um but they believed so they have this really wonky sort of theology that God is all powerful, but eternal law is what determines whether God is God. So God is only God as long as God follows eternal law. So it's it's like, well, what's more powerful, God or eternal law? Well, if eternal law is more powerful, then how is God really God? You huh. know, that's, this is that's,
0: similar but different from penal substitution. That's
1: well, that's what it reminds me of. Yeah. Like you know, kind of if God is God, but there's law that God can't.
0: Necessarily,
1: like say yes or no to you know what I mean? Like yeah. it seems like there's something there's a more there's a more higher power there,
0: huh? I, Just, I you yes you have pointed out actually the problem that most philosophers have with yeah. Jesus and God and that sort of thing. Interesting. Yeah. Does God we you know is is something good because God says it's good or is is it good because it is actually good? <laughs>
1: And God is just identifying it as good.
0: Yeah, which would be a problem, obviously. It's called yes. the euthyphro problem, and it's been that way for centuries. <laughs> but anyway, the problem with Mormon... Well, at least from Christian perspective, the problem with Mormonism is kind of that Jesus basically is, like, suffering, and his suffering basically kind of gets rid of all the bad things that are in human existence, and then that's how he is able to follow the law and continues to do that because, obviously, he's the perfect sinless son of God. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Also, um fun thing uh mormons don't believe that jesus was actually the son of god they believe he was an angel uh akin to michael the archangel in fact i think they believe that michael the archangel was actually jesus um and so it kind of weirdens out the whole triune being thing and the holy spirit is just i think it's like a a, an another angel either it's another angel or it's uh an expression of God. So it's not its own separate thing. It's God.
0: Huh. There's yeah. some strange stuff in this. I'm not <laughs> sure how accurate this is, but, uh,
1: I, I, I would definitely not call it accurate. It takes some mental gymnastics yeah, to get there. I we'll believe in the Trinity concerning.
0: either. I think they believe mm-hmm. in Jesus Christ and heavenly father who are two different things. Yes, they are.
1: Yeah. I'm, Jesus Christ know. was the man and he was also the angel, but he was not the son of God. And he was called the son of God because angels are celestial beings. And they think that, I don't know how this is. And they then think he
0: becomes that, God through the fact that he suffered and then died for all of humanity? I haven't
1: gotten that far. Uh, I don't I think. think that he actually becomes God. I think that he's just a paid sacrifice. And he can do that because he's a celestial being, not a human being.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, not really, no. <laughs> okay, from our perspective, it's weird, but Mormons, yes. you know, it's a whole different theological thing taken yeah. off of... Yeah. Anyway, we're anyway, not moving technology. on. We were um, on penal third, substitution or something. <laughs> this was 10th century? 12th century? Okay, we were on St. Anselm and the penal substitution. Yes, that. Okay, so what happened... No, or Satisfaction theory. Oh, okay, okay, continue. And what happens in satisfaction theory is that basically... Broadly speaking, we end up with a bunch of different theories underneath satisfaction, which include penal substitution, the governmental theory. They're all kind of just metaphors for a similar thing, which is basically a legal procedure happening in spiritual terms.
1: (laughs) It more talks about the law rather than like God is a certain way yeah it's, it's it's more about the law than it is about God,
0: but God's sacrifice basically abolishes the law or and/ or fulfills the law or however you want to phrase it exactly, <laughs> so you end up in the same place yes. no matter what. <laughs> so those are the three main ones now, of course, if you want to talk non protestant non- you know if you want to go like Eastern Orthodox, then things are a little different there <laughs> uh Eastern Orthodox being. Uh, Eastern, so Orthodox churches are the churches that arose out of the split of the Roman Empire between East and West. Oh, so we're talking Catholicism? No, Catholicism was the Western church. So this is basically, this is what happened. Roman Empire was, you know, for hundreds of years was basically civilization in a nutshell. But at a certain point in time, due to exterior forces and fighting, the two parts of the empire separated. So approximately from where the modern day Istanbul stands, which was originally called Constantinople after Emperor Constantine. (laughs) Yes. So this is where the two parts of the empire split. So there's an Eastern part and there's a Western part. Oh, um, quick
1: note, um, because this is the one thing
0: that I know, (laughs) uh, (laughs) Constantine
1: was the first – this is 3rd century, correct? Approximately uh, 300 AD? Or am I crazy? 4th fourth century. 4th fourth century-ish. Anyway, um, Constantine was the first emperor to want to make Christianity the official religion of the empire.
0: Yes. Cool. <laughs> That's pleasure. the only thing I know. Please continue. <laughs> so what happens is around 400 AD with outside fortress encroaching – Basically, the empire splits in two. So there's a Western empire and there's an Eastern empire. Now, due to, you know, how things splits go, bad things happen. And Mm -hmm. so what happens is that also Christianity is cleaved in two. So let's say Christendom is cleaved in two. So what happens is the Western part of the empire is the, well, from our modern perspective, the Catholic version of the empire. And what happens on the other end in the Eastern empire is the orthodox christians okay and they end up developing separately and having their own long history of theological development which almost
1: yeah. like a sort of uh it reminds me of um like theories of evolution where you separate finches and like two separate islands and then they develop differently depending on the environment
0: yeah actually <laughs> So, why, whereas they came from the same source, and they all had the same things they resolved, like, let's say, the Doctrine of the Trinity, and all that sort of thing. hmm A lot of st- a variation happened between the two. So, Catholic, quote-unquote Catholicism, which really basically means, you know, the one church. There was a, there was one church for, like, 1,500 years, mm-hmm. and then Protestantism happened. <laughs> yes, because
1: Mar- Martin Luther was like, hang on a minute.
0: Yeah, and he wanted to change things, and and so on yes. and so forth. But Orthodox, basically, the de- turned into the Rome, the Eastern Roman Empire turned into the Byzantine Empire, okay. which was its own separate empire with its own religion, its own theological development, and that empire lasted far longer than the Western Empire did last. Okay, so it was basically secluded and lasted until like sixteen hundred or something. Good lord! So Orthodox Christianity is very different in small ways yes so they have things like icons and they have um praying to icons and saints in in a way that is very different even from catholicism really yes this is, <laughs> and their yeah, churches, history lessons yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so there's in our modern world there's greek orthodox and russian orthodox those are the two primary ones Yes. Yeah, and they don't just mostly contain those two, but those are the two big variations. So to get to where I was going. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> before I went on this history <laughs> lesson. <laughs> hey, um, it's been fun though. Yeah, yeah, it's fun to know. It's yeah. so their their salvation theory is a little different than the legal theory that became dominant in western Christianity up to this day. So salvation is not like a legal procedure, but it's the transformation of human nature as God, you know, in it's in the Son who took on human nature. <laughs> mm. So Jesus Christ takes on human nature, then you know, death and resurrection, and they call it something like expiation, which is a little different. So his death and resurrection on the cross kind of like got all the bad stuff out of human nature. And now if, yes. So and if you <laughs> and if you obviously accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, then basically, you know, you're, you're kind of you're perfect, trans, but also not. You're being slowly transformed into the likeness. Oh,
1: of Jesus uh, Christ. being transformed by the renewing of our mind.
0: Yeah, that sort of thing. Okay, so their stuff is consistent with scripture, obviously, but it's just it's the little nuances that change. Yeah, things. Um, as far as it's more was, like an, an it's more like the um, it's more like an offering to God than it is like a, a sacrifice.
1: Uh, Christ was an offering instead of a sacrifice.
0: Yeah, what? It is an act of offering that seeks to change the one who is making the offering. And so the way they translate it is like it's basically God offer you know, Jesus Christ offers himself so that human beings can draw closer to God. So he's, so basically God is not dying to appease an angry, vindictive God, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or to avert God's wrath, but to change people so they can become divine. But it's not quite the same as Mormonism.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, we don't. Yeah, because go.
0: it's not saying you are becoming a god. Yes, but that you become god in his energies or operations, as in being a good person, this sort of thing. But not okay. in, te- in fact, becoming one with God. Like
1: uh, you are not actually divine.
0: No, you are not actually God. No, but you are like God.
1: <laughs> See, I can I can kind of get behind that personally because. Um, like there's stuff that says like this the sp- same resurrection power that lived in Christ lives in us, and how Christ lives in us, and so on and so forth. We're being renewed um, by the transforming of our mind, and it's we're coerced with Christ. So it's like the same sort of thing. Like we can't obviously be perfect. We won't be perfect yeah. even even in our uh, eternal perfect bodies. We will still never be divine. We will. I mean, we won't ever be like actually like God. No. <laughs> Even in our eternal bodies, which that's another subject entirely. But um we have greater attributes given to us because of Christ in us.
0: Yeah, something similar to that. I okay. think that's a good way to put it. Okay. Yeah. And Roman like, Catholic we- views are a little different than all these. <laughs> but it's kind of like they kind of link atonement and redemption as like related things. Redemption. Okay. <laughs> I don't see.
1: I don't see how that is. I mean, is that an
0: issue? Um, not really. You know what? Okay. To be quite honest, uh, Catholicism is really, really similar to what Protestantism was when yes. Martin Luther was criticizing the Catholic Church for being more like Catholicism. <laughs> oh, okay. So, if you read Martin Luther's Ninety-Five Theses, yes, over those four hundred years, the Catholic Church basically did all those changes at Hmm. one point or another. So the Catholic, so the church that Martin Luther wanted to see is the Catholic church as it is now. But because of all the heresy claims and Martin Luther having to run away from Catholic church and go to legal procedures and be Mm -hmm. called a heretic and basically becoming an outlaw in Germany, (laughs) (laughs) things got a little heated. And then we ended up with this basically separation Interesting.
1: (laughs) And Galileo's well, just as an example, Galileo was not well compared to the church as well, and he's you know, where we got um, the flat earth theory versus round earth theory. Well, so people say people have, there's there's a little bit of a a divide on that because people, I've heard sources that say that people have known that the earth was round since like 400
0: AD Yes, I think so
1: (laughs) And then Galileo kind of more brought it to light and that's like really, really brought it to light with proof and stuff. And so that's why the church was angry. Um, however, I, as far as Catholicism goes, I have some issues with Catholicism.
0: <laughs> Galileo's thing was really weird. <laughs> yes, there's lots that goes along with that. Yeah, I don't think it was necessarily any of his scientific things that mm-hmm. were an issue. I Because if you look at the way that the universities developed, Christianity was like, yeah, science is okay and good. <laughs> and we kind of stole <laughs> a lot of things the Muslims did, but that's, you know, <laughs> that's oh, kind of a thing that happens. That's um, not something I knew. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's not about the fact that he thought the earth, you know, the earth revolves <laughs> around the sun rather than their sun revolving around the earth.
1: Was that what was that what Galileo... I'm sorry, I was... That's what a lot of
0: people thought it was.
1: Okay, I thought it was the flat earth thing. Oops. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. Yay, history! This is something I should have paid attention to. Anyway. It gets confusing because we're not exactly <clears throat> sure because some people don't know what his house arrest was for. His house yeah. arrest actually might be for a different thing and not for the fact that he said those things.
1: Uh, interesting. Because I know he did speak out against the church a little bit.
0: Yeah, he did. I think Just it was. Wanted... It must have been something about the sun. Something. Anyway, there's oh. a bunch of books that say it's all hogwash. Anyway, again, we don't it could know. have been the sun.
1: S O N. uh no, <laughs> no. Sorry.
0: Okay, where the heck was I? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> we're, we're talking about Galileo for some reason.
1: We we bunny trailed like crazy there. Okay,
0: something about Catholic churches. That's what I yes. Remember. So so the Catholic Church, as it is now, is what Martin Mm -hmm. Luther wanted back in (laughs) 1500-ish. Okay. Which is really weird to me, because, you know, just looking at this up, but at least around whenever Vatican II popped up, that's when things changed for the Catholic Church in a big way. Like, um, priests didn't have to give Mass in Latin anymore, they could actually face the congregation... They didn't have to read scripture in a different language that nobody could understand. So, a lot of these things made Catholicism a lot more accessible to many more people. Yeah. And even now, most of Christianity <coughs> is taken up by Catholicism rather than Protestantism.
1: Wait, wait, wait. Say that one more time. I'm sorry. Most, most of, Christianity yeah, most is... of the
0: Christianity's population, which is about 35% of the entire world, is oh, mostly yes. Catholic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're like. We're like a little outlier here. (laughs) Protestantism. Well, Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's growing. We're cool. We're not totally noobs,
0: (laughs) but we're like totally schism separated, that sort of thing. So
1: yeah. And then we're even schismed in our own like denominations and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Independent
0: thinking. It's, Makes it hard to do things. Yeah,
1: which is why I'm non denominational. But it's also more of a schism in that, oh, I'm totally separate from the denominations. Yeah, but and-
0: denomina- non denominationalism is a denomination. <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> to be honest, it kind of is. Yeah. It's its own thing. I went to a non denominational church a couple times. Did you? What did you yeah, think? But non-denominational means like a billion different things again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. We're It's it's
1: less the, this is what we believe. It's more the, we don't want to be associated with denominationalism.
0: Yeah, that's what it usually ends up being. Yeah. Like independent Baptist means we don't want to be, you know, held back by the Southern Baptist Convention or the American Baptist Convention.
1: Or the neo-reformed Baptists or whatever. And that's
0: a thing that exists and I didn't <laughs> even know that existed. Neo-reformed Baptist, I don't even know if those are compatible.
1: I don't. I, I don't. I just know that Neo is new and Reformed is different. Neo, so is new, new, n- new, huh?
0: Neo is new. That's what I said. <laughs> and Reformed is John Calvin. And Lutheranism is Martin Luther.
1: And I'm Michael Jones.
0: <laughs> are you Zachary Oliver? Yeah, I'm Zachary Oliver. <laughs> I don't know
1: what I am.
0: I'm something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is tons of fun. <laughs> okay, so where were so, we So what were we talking about? I don't know. Um we were talking we were about kind atonement. Of doing like a his. oh yes. Uh as far as atonement goes, uh what I'm more curious about is like defining the terms like atonement versus like um repentance versus other things and like exegesis versus asegesis and things like that.
0: Oh, Jesus and exegesis. Well,
1: this is just an example. Like the, these are these are terms that I find coming up in articles that I'm reading lately, and I'm like,
0: okay, Google is gonna blow up. Yeah, I tend not to use those when I'm writing on theology gaming, precisely because I don't really want to explain it. <laughs> and if I'm going to ex- if I'm going to use it, I will explain it. Fair enough. Like sometimes I use like philosophers' concepts, like I'll say this Kantian ideal of ethics or something, right? But I will actually explain it. <laughs> In ways that a, you know, a modern reader can kind of get it. Or at least the the gist
1: of of it. That sort of layman can kind of understand. Yeah. Oh, um, what is a diatribe?
0: Uh, A diatribe is kind of like a extended, uh, angry, bitter verbal attack against somebody. Uh, Oh, okay. So it's kind of like a rant. Except it's kind of focused against a person.
1: So it's more attacking the person rather than the idea?
0: Yeah, because if you're doing ranting, you're just speaking like a wild, crazy person in general. But like a yes. diatribe is against a person in specific.
1: Okay.
0: Like, you suck, I hate you, that kind of thing. <laughs>
1: okay. I've hear.
0: I I've heard you use diatribe before, so I was like,
1: what does that mean? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, no, you know. Yay! Right, I'm going to explain just, exegesis right. and eisegesis. Do this it, please. Okay, so exegesis is a critical explanation, interpretation, logical outworking of a text and it's mostly used in reference to the Bible. Mm-hmm. So it's a critical explanation of a text. So what does this mean, right? What are these things? What are the what is the context of this verse? Let's mm-hmm. say it in biblical terms. What's the context of this verse? What's the historical context? What did these words mean? What do they look like their original language, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What it's is like, this?
1: How was this person like? What was their sort of ideals and, and thinking stuff? Yeah, and
0: you're using applies? the text as a base to figure out everything else. So, oh, basically, okay. like, okay, so like Galatians was written in like 60 A.D. or something, right? Mm-hmm. And then we have all this historical information, so that's historical exegesis. Okay. And we want to look at all those kinds of... We want to look at these historical elements, but we also want to know what was the purpose of putting this verse or these sentences in this text based on what we know about the historical context surrounding it, and what was the rhetorical meaning of it. Let's say, um, you know, just an exegesis of the re- methods used in writing and speaking in convincing your audience I mean, there's a host of things that exegesis consists of, but it's using the, objectively using the things surrounding the text from a, let's say, a more objective standpoint to figure it out, it all out. (laughs) What does it mean? What does this mean is, you know, it's interpretation. Okay. Whereas exegesis is more um, inserting something into the text. So you're, okay,
1: so like your own personal interpretation.
0: Yes, so your presuppositions, your agenda, or your bias <laughs> is inserted into the text, so you're reading into the text, you're not reading the text. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
1: So it's a little more of an artistic, quote-unquote, like, like how you would uh, read into poetry, you kind of get your own understanding of it, versus... Um, how they do it in class, where you would look at the poetry, look at what the author has said before, look at, like, the time period that they lived and what was going on in their life and kind of get the idea from the poetry from that, rather than your own personal
0: understanding. Uh, yes. Maybe I should use an example to make it just a little bit more clear.
1: That would be awesome. Because
0: you definitely have the gist of it, but... (laughs) Okay, Okay, so, let's say, for example, there's been a lot of talk concerning in video games, let's say, mm-hmm. the idea that, let's say, a something is either sexist or racist or...
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, this is that, a good one. That this kind of one. stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So,
0: like, a video game is racist because you can only play as a white person. Or mm-hmm. a video game is sexist because you can't play as a woman. Or it portrays women negatively. Or it plays as races negatively. That kind of thing. Etc, 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 right? Mm-hmm. So... And if you, so let's take the biblical example. If you go into the Bible, Paul is not too hung up with the idea of slavery. Yeah. His ideas of slavery are merely that if you're a slave in your position, that you should serve your master with all your might because God would want you to do that, right? Yeah. And to some people, that is like this untold violation of human dignity and that sort of thing. It
1: it more seems like he's condoning slavery rather than just this is something that happens. If it happens, do it the best of your way. But if
0: you come from like an American perspective, (laughs) post-slavery, post-civil rights movement, you're going to see that scripture in a much different light than somebody who comes from, let's say, a society that has slavery in it. So whereas one side is going to be highly offended that Paul doesn't really care about the, you know, social status of -hmm. slaves and stuff. The people who are reading it in that context are saying, well, we as Christians are not supposed to change things. We can't do anything about it. So it's a little Mm -hmm. different. So whereas in one case, you're kind of doing an exegesis thing, right? You're saying, what is the historical context of this? What does Paul mean? Is Paul an approval of slavery? Maybe these Mm -hmm. things are true. We don't know. Mm Mm-hmm. But we're looking at the historical context and saying, why would Paul say things in this way? Is he, you know, is it because of historical context or social concerns or what culture grew up in? Whereas on the other hand, you could do eisegesis and you can kind of insert your presuppositions of your cultural context or social leanings into the text, and -hmm. then you're deriving the conclusion that Paul endorsed slavery and that's wrong. (laughs) Uh,
1: So that's how a lot of... um I've heard the argument said that the Bible is a patriarchal book in a negative sort of sense. And then they view patriarchy to be like this really great sort of overarching, almost like, you know how the Freemasons are um, kind of linked with the Illuminati and how the Illuminati is like this greatest evil sort of behind the scenes organization. That's the patriarchy. Um, and so this, the, I know, um, the you Bible describe is it in
0: such negative terms. <laughs> I'm sorry. You describe it in such negative terms. Well,
1: that's how they view it. That's the point I'm trying to make. They view it in such like, this is the worst thing ever. This is the greatest, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, Oh, oppression. This is the greatest oppression possible. Blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. And, uh, <laughs> For context, these people consider themselves feminist. I'm not going to touch that subject. No. <laughs> I'm just trying to make a point
0: here. We touched that on a different podcast, and so we're going to leave it alone. <laughs> but, As many other things. Yes. Um, but anyway. Um, but all said, that basically, eisegesis is reading into the text with your own presuppositions and biases already yes. applied to it. And that's how you get to, let's say, conclusion about... The idea of social justice, which are not two words that appear together in the Bible, that kind of thing. <laughs> that doesn't mean they're bad necessarily, right? No, no. But it does mean that you're doing something different and you shouldn't claim to be doing exegesis. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Now, now, which method is better? Eh, we don't know. <laughs> A
1: lot of people think that iso... Um, I'm sorry.
0: Iso is... ISA Jesus. <laughs> I,
1: <laughs> one I uses
0: X. One uses an X. and One uses an S.
1: No, I know. Um, uh, <laughs> they're so similar, it's hard not to get the terms mixed up. Um, exeg- exegesis is uh, within the time period, and eisegesis is your own biases.
0: Yeah. Well, the objective information surrounding the lights. Exegesis is basically the text. Okay. Yeah. This okay. is what is in the text. What does it say?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas eisegesis is.
1: Your own opinion. Yeah,
0: reading into the text. <laughs>
1: okay. So I know many people, as far as the Bible is concerned, say that exegesis is the only way to read the Bible. It's not because even though it says many times that like God is personal and stuff like that, um, at least as far as I could be crazy.
0: No no anyway it does. It does. Okay. Or it, at least it implies it, it implies that, that yes, personal relationship implies, with Jesus yes. Christ. Again, yes. like imply is really kind of just vague double speak for it doesn't really say directly,
1: (laughs) but it really like leads heavily towards it.
0: Yes. Um, anyway,
1: so exegesis is the only way to do it. And you can't, you, if you're doing exegesis, you're a heretic. And, uh, so trying to get your own sort of reading out of the Bible is not good. And, you can only try to understand what these people are saying from the time period and the social things surrounding this and whatever else the text says.
0: That would yeah, and most people like to call it the uh what is it? I'm thinking about evangelical circles because this is where I come from. Uh, <laughs> it's the historical grammatical method of biblical okay. interpretation. <laughs> okay. And so isegesis is the more free form kind of way. Yeah. Hmm.
1: This w- was originally going somewhere, and now we I missed it. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> this has been fun. Yes, of course it is. Um, theology is fun. Theology is fun. I do love theology. I'm just very,
0: very unlearned. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be learned really.
1: Well, when people are using terms and stuff and they're talking about time periods and they're talking about like this concept versus that concept, and being that I'm non denominational, people talk about like Neo Reformed Baptists and Evangelicals and um how M. Josh is a charismaniac? He's a. I get that, but he's like a, a messianic Jew almost. I think he said that at one point.
0: I think um, he has affiliations into. Yes. Um, what do you call it? Not messianic Jew leanings, because if you're a messianic Jew, this is like an entirely different thing than being a Christian.
1: <laughs> yes. No, I understand what you're saying. You know what I mean, though. Like he has I know what you Jewish mean. sort of. Uh, like he likes the way that
0: like Jewish religion functions. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of things about caring for the poor and you know, the law and the way that like tradition and ritual function in Judaism. Tradition, yeah. Tradition. I mean yeah. they're very interesting. <laughs> Sorry. And Josh <laughs> finds a lot of meaning in those and that's Yes. That's,
1: and I don't blame him for that. But no. like so like denominations, I'm it's all kind of a big question mark. I know there's differences. All I know is I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I but care. It's, it's I care good for to the know. Of, no, I care for the sake of discussion, um, but I don't really care as far as I treat you differently, is more what I mean.
0: Yeah. It's good to know, though, because a lot of this is just stuff that will come up at one point or another. In yeah. Some conversation with some guy.
1: Like, right now. <laughs> yeah, like, right now.
0: <laughs> because there's a quiz later. Yes,
1: this is how this works. Um, So because I, I feel that this gives a little bit of good background to the people discussing what is and this is a very big question what is an evangelical or better better defined what would you describe yourself as and what does that really mean as far as different concepts versus other denominations
0: um, well I am not an evangelical uh, I don't think okay <laughs> Although I definitely have grown up in Baptist evangelical churches, because those are the ones that are closest to what I think, but not maybe. <laughs> okay. It's very complicated. Part of yeah. it is
1: your born bias, you know, like the yeah. area that you grew up in, you have a little bit of bias towards that.
0: I do, yeah, I do.
1: <laughs> we all do. It's normal. That's okay. That's how I, life You know,
0: because I... Grow grew up in a Baptist church, and then I was in another Baptist church, and then I was in another Baptist church, and then I was in another Baptist church, and then another.
1: <laughs> so, Good Lord.
0: So they're all Baptist churches, and sometimes they call themselves evangelical churches, but they're Baptist. Did you ever get baptized in a Baptist church? And if you're going to ask that question, I'm going to answer truthfully, no. <laughs> really? I, I have not been baptized.
1: Baptists don't do baptisms.
0: Oh, no, they do. I I'm just kidding. haven't been baptized. I was, I was just joking. <laughs> what, you haven't been baptized? Yeah, there's a bunch of complicated reasons for that, if you'd oh. like to know. <laughs> I would like to know, but
1: maybe that's for a more personal discussion. Yeah,
0: that might be. But anyway, to move on to evangelicalism. Ugh, I hate just using that word. It's just <laughs> say Baptist? Baptist. No, well, evangelicals and Baptists are different. Slightly. <sighs> okay. Just All right. slightly. All right. So, okay, evangelicalism is basically that the centrality of the gospel consists of salvation by faith in Christ's atonement. <laughs> And by atonement, they mean substitutionary atonement. So, you know, Christ's death is a sacrifice for all humankind, mm-hmm. and save, death, resurrection, that sort of thing. Gotcha. So okay. it's mostly the surrounding elements of evangelicalism that determine what they are. Okay. <laughs> Which are more like, how is history arranged? Or <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah. So, in <clears throat> since I've been talking about this in reading my New Church's Constitution... There are two. Oh,
1: right. we yeah. About that a bit.
0: Yeah, there are two different ways to interpret history within most Protestant circles. Mm-hmm. The first being dispensationalism, which is the understanding that there are different dispensations in time periods through which God worked in slightly different ways. And I know this oh! sounds really weird. No, I actually kind of subscribe to dispensationalism okay. a little bit. Anyway. Yeah. So there's yeah I mean obviously a lot of how dispensationalism is is that there's a forward movement of history in these dispensations towards the eschatological end times which are futurist interpretations That of was Revelation. that
1: was a big word, by the way. What? Eschatological.
0: Oh yeah, sorry. You know what? Eschatological <laughs> is just a thing I I know about, and it's not even a word that the dictionary uses. <laughs> but, but eschatological is bas- eschatology just, is the study of the end times. Okay, so the end times. So just if think end about, times. So if you're thinking about in Greek, eschat- okay. eschaton means end times or wow, something I can bug
1: too. you about Greek words. Yes. Well, Yay. no, no, you can't. No. Oh dang! I don't you. know
0: anything about Greek.
1: Okay. <laughs> Other never mind.
0: vague things.
1: Okay, so eschatological end
0: times blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Yeah, eschatological end times blah, blah, blah. If you're a dispensationalist, you subscribe to what they call um, a premillennial position, which is that there is a rapture and a taking up of all the Christians that believed in a resurrection of the dead, which occurs before the quote-unquote tribulation period slash thousand years of Christ's reign on earth. (laughs) Yes. Okay, and that basically means that the you're a futurist interpretation of revelation, which means that you interpret revelation as
1: a, oh, as having not already happened.
0: Yes, so I whatever. Don't
1: understand the other idea. So
0: revelation yeah. is basically a very incredibly cryptic document about what is going to happen in the future.
1: <laughs> uh, I don't know if even John the Revelator knew what he was talking about.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> so this is dispensationalism. In a nutshell, the other one is covenant theology which is more reformed and that sort of thing what is it it's uh is it called covenant theology I'm totally going to make sure
1: I'm I'm not the person to ask that question actually
0: okay you know what I'm going to stall wikipedia will have the answer Your thing
1: <laughs> we'll just cut it here or something
0: okay so it's basically covenant theology is a flow for understanding how the bible works so if you think about The Bible as a history book, if you want to look at it that way. The Bible is a document of God's covenants with different people through different times in history. Okay. From creation to fall to redemption to consummation. So there's three overarching covenants of redemption, works, and grace, that kind of thing. So it's, you know, like the legal understanding of substitutionary atonement and possibly penal substitution kind of works in covenant theology too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, Of course, Covenant Theology, you can also be a, what do you call it, post Oh. Which means yeah. that you think that, <coughs> you know, basically that things have already happened. Not that they've already happened in Revelation. I thought,
1: wait, 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 wait. That's not That's not post mill Wait. Is post-millennial, post-millennial is
0: that we're living in the either thousand years, which, you know, Lol. we don't know whether that's an actual time period or that <sighs> history is ascending towards a period where... You know, basically Christianity dominates the earth, if you want to think of it that way.
1: Oh, and as far as um, the reason why that we don't know if that's an actual time period is because in the Bible it says elsewhere that to God, uh, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Yeah, And exactly. in the book of Revelation, it talks about specifically a thousand years. But elsewhere in the Bible, it talks about different time periods and depending on how you want to interpret Uh, the book of Genesis, that could be thousands, millions of years, so that's where we get old world, or old earth versus uh, young earth creationism and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Because that's a... That that one verse, that one verse. Good Lord. So we're interpreting the scripture with other scripture. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And that may or may not be a good way to do it, but we've been doing it, so that's what we're going to do. I don't
1: think that it's a bad way. I I think if anything... Because we all consider – most of us consider scripture to be God-inspired, I don't think that using words that he's said to interpret other words that he's said is necessarily a bad
0: thing. No. But you have to kind of like know what you're doing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Also, it helps um, if you look at the root words of everything because being that it's English from like Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek and stuff, uh, we don't always have perfect – like direct, this is what the word means. Translations because the word has multiple meanings.
0: Yeah, and I will say here. Here is my little disclaimer: don't use the King James version. <laughs> yep. Okay, yeah. So yep, I, I know yep. that a lot of people in a lot of churches like don't even care. King James. They <laughs> like King James and they like that stuff. But I think the King James version is pretty notorious for being a translation of a translation.
1: Yes, so, and actually, yeah. I feel like the King James like. From a totally logical perspective, I feel like the King Jings is good if you like that sort of language, like for Shakespearean people.
0: Oh, no, it's a wonderful piece of art that no, sure. influenced human civilization. So, But the way that they
1: translated things in that time was not as necessarily accurate as it is nowadays, because it's like we've grown as people, as a culture, as a world, we understand each other people translating
0: from greek and hebrew to latin and then to english so oh, good something Lord. is bound to be lost <laughs> i didn't even know it was that bad yeah it's pretty bad that's okay that's where you get lucifer from too it's not in any other bible translation that i can really read. yeah cuz they translated Morningstar star as lucifer so that's where you get mm. that
1: okay. and the
0: word pastor which only appears once in any other translation of the bible that i've read recently <laughs> Oh, for, full disclaimer, I use the New American Standard Bible.
1: Oh, you, you're NASB. That's cool. Yeah, I,
0: and sometimes RSV if I need to see how more liberal translations look at certain things. Okay, okay.
1: I do King James. I do NKJV, which is New King James. I do NIV, New International Version. I do NLT. Oh, new, I don't mind
0: NIV either.
1: Okay. Yeah. Uh, new That's Living it. Translation is NLT. And then there was, uh, I do NASB. And then uh, ESV is cool, which is English Standard Version. Um, yeah. I think
0: the best thing to do with translations <laughs> is use multiple translations. Yes! That's <laughs> why I
1: use so many. Yeah,
0: because they all have weird quirks. <laughs> like NASB, like translated like treasure, like booty. Like oh a yes, yes. That's <laughs> so weird. good. <laughs> it's like get the booty. It's like,
1: and then also if you go amplified, amplified is actually based off of the King James, so it's like even more wordy oh, and weird.
0: Yeah. Amplified is totally strange. I, I love the
1: amplified, that. but it's it's it has uh, it has it. I quirks. wish I wish they could do an amplified from like Nasby or something like yeah, that. That would be not cool. King James <laughs> exactly.
0: And now we are way off point. What were we talking about? <laughs> Covenant we talk- theology we were talking about. Evangelicalism, that's what we we're talking yes. about. Yes. Okay, so covenant theology, that kind of thing. So evangelicals use yeah. NASB. No, I'm just kidding. But Covenant Theology doesn't have to be postmillennialist. That's what okay. I, I think I was trying to say. Okay, okay. It doesn't have to be postmillennialist, but um dispensationalism has to be premillennialist.
1: Oh, can you um define since we've defined premillennialism, can you define post-millennialism
0: post is the idea that the thousand years are now and that we are <laughs> From, ascending in history towards you know the end time and when christ returns
1: so. yeah it's it's um as far as thousand years for post People don't really define as to when that thousand years began or when the tribulations happened, quote
0: unquote. Yeah, if there um, are any tribulations at all. <laughs> yeah, and
1: it's funny with Revelation because the way that Revelations lays out all the tribulations and what whatnot, it seems to be pre-millennialism. Uh, like there's going to be the quote unquote rapture, then tribulations. Uh, somewhere in the middle of that with the Antichrist, quote unquote, and the false prophet, quote unquote. Um, and then at the end of seven years, quote unquote, seven days, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, I've I've read too much of the Left Behind series. Anyway, um then Christ comes back with a sword proceeding out of his mouth and killing people and stuff. And
0: Yeah, and yeah, Metal
1: Jesus. Metal Jesus for the win. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so that's that's pre millennial, and I, I think that's mostly a American thing as of now.
1: Yes, and it's also one of the most, as far as I know, and this is Mike Jones's opinion. This is not fact. Um, as far as I know, uh, pre millennialism is the most widely accepted understanding.
0: Yeah, in most American churches, for sure. Okay, but post millennialism is pretty much there <laughs> it's you know i mean these are just different opinions of what's going to happen that we don't know much about from a cryptic book that we can't really understand with any yeah. certainty but yeah we do and there's actually one other one which is oh uh, mid or no millennialism a... it's there's an a in front of the millennialism which means those people don't believe there is any millennium at all what yes let me look this up i How... knew yeah there we go Amillennialism, the rejection of the theory that oh! Jesus Christ will have a literal 1000 oh, year long physical reign on earth. <laughs> oh, that bothers me so much. Um, so the number of thousand years is a symbolic number.
1: Yeah, which makes sense because, you know, the Lord, elsewhere uh, in Scripture, it talks about how many times should I forgive my brother? And um, I think it was Peter who said... Is it seven times, Lord? And Jesus was like, no, it's 70 times seven. And he didn't literally mean 490 times. It was more to give an understanding of as many times, period. Always forgive, period. Um, So going along those sort of lines, it could be that the thousand years or seven days or whatever is really not really defined. Because elsewhere in Revelation it talks about – a time times and half a time in a specific like this is a an actual time period so as far as what a time whatever that word is i forget the actual root word uh in the the base translation (laughs) um it's 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 all very cryptic and that's why there's so much debate about like was earth like Is it an old creation or is, or is it old earth? Is it young earth? Is it, you know, amillennialism? Is this really a thing? It's a really cryptic document. That's why so many people disagree on all this stuff.
0: Yes. So in terms of revelation, my official opinion is, I don't know. (laughs) Yep. That's
1: about as accurate as you can
0: get. Yeah. And I can hold an opinion, but I don't think that opinion would really be that useful to figure out what exactly is the actual case. Now, on the other hand, in terms of seven-day creation and young-earth creationism and old-earth creationism and that kind of thing, Genesis was written at a time where scientific inquiry and explanation of things did not exist. Yes. So when I look at that, I say, is this a science textbook that is telling me how the earth was created. Is this an explanatory model for figuring out how the earth was created? And my answer is not really, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it was written in a pre-scientific time and that science is not necessarily the only path to understanding all there is about reality. Yes. So to treat it that way is really weird to me.
1: (laughs) No, I understand. And as far as that goes, um, I think the best way you can, this is my personal opinion. Best way you can go about it, take it as, like, poetry. Not, not, like, to be irreverent about it, but take it like a really nice story and don't really think too hard about it because it probably
0: doesn't matter that much. Like, it <laughs> so does, God but create, it doesn't. <laughs> did God create the heavens and the earth? Yes. Yeah. Do it I know matter. how Yeah, but did I know how God actually created it? It no. doesn't really say. You know what no. I mean? I can't replicate yeah. the results in a laboratory. No. And figure out the how God created things out of a formless void.
1: Yes. How does that
0: work? Can I figure that out?
1: Oh, and I have some interesting theories um if you do want to take it quote unquote scientifically uh interesting theories about the the theory called intelligent design, which is like kind of merges creationism and evolution. So,
0: Yeah. And that's yeah. really confusing.
1: It's really fun though, <laughs> and yes. also for another discussion.
0: And it is not officially recognized.
1: <laughs> no, wait, what?
0: Well, by the scientific community. So
1: Ah Intelli- uh, Okay.
0: Yeah. Anyway. Well, because obviously you can't have a like, god being in charge of. No. Stuff. What? You can't have higher beings. Science is the only way. Yeah, it's it's called a, on Wikipedia it's called a pseudo scientific theory. Good lord. That's great. But anyway, you know what? It's like religion and science. You know, they're not really opposed to each other because they're doing different things. Yeah. That's always been my yeah. official opinion.
1: Yeah. So, um, yes, defining evangelical slash Baptist.
0: All right. So, I think we can wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Unless you want to go on to something else, which no, I No, no,
1: that's fine. Um, so, you kind of defined a lot yours of things a little bit yes you did yeah. yes you did. and i very much appreciate that and i bet a lot of other people do too
0: um so here's a basic thing about theology atonement we did icgesis exegesis and we learned a little bit about end time things and also history and history yeah lots and lots of history there's a lot of interesting subjects in there definitely hopefully this it'll been- make sense This has been good. I feel this has been good. I hope this has been revelatory. (laughs) 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 Oh, Bible puns. Well, all right. I think this is a good place to wrap it up, actually. Yeah. All right. So this has been Theology Gaming Something or Other. (laughs) Brought to you by Zachary Oliver and Michael Michael Justin Jones. Jones. Yeah. I keep using your middle name because it always appears on my Facebook. It doesn't matter.
1: (laughs) I I actually have, funny enough, I actually have two middle names. So I just go by Michael Justin Jones because two middle names is weird. What's the other one? David. No. Well. You're funny. I tried. I'm not that old.
0: (laughs) 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 More Bible fun. All right. See you guys later. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye.